Alrighty. I'll give us a bump. Uh, all right. Let's see your bump, but I think your bump's good. I'm a bumper. Okay, I guess we should we just call her? Sure. I'm going to be here. We might get her assistant. Call failed. Nice. We're off to a great start. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. I am Rob Minot, and today I am joined by the lovely Ryan Fleury. Howdy. And the charismatic Steve Barkley. Oh, well done. Thank you. Well, it, it is was finally it, feeling better. Yeah. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, you're, you actually sound somewhat like... My, my voice is coming back. Yeah, I was losing it on the weekend, but <laughs> it's, it's coming back. Yeah, you're a little gravelly, but... That's, that's my uh, Valentine's sexy voice. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Barry White. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> Let me cough in your ear. <laughs> uh, you have a good long weekend? Ryan? Uh, yeah, I didn't do a whole lot, but you know, it was a long weekend, so I can't complain. Oh, I know, right? Yep. But they always go so fast. They do. It's true. But uh, what about you, Steve? What did you do? Just You were just sick. Yeah, I was just sick. I just slept a lot and uh, played uh, Civilization VI a lot. <gasps> Isn't that a good game? It's a really good game. Oh, it's a one more turn. It, it's one more turn. Oh my God, it's so addictive. And uh, uh, gave the dog a bath. Oh. That, that was my only accomplishment this weekend, was giving the dog a bath. <laughs> and what's that like? Uh, it's a Does lot. she like it? Uh, no. Okay. Oh, really? No, she oh, doesn't. Oh, Benji like, loves it. Yeah, no, she doesn't like the bath. Hmm. No, she she's constantly trying to escape. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, is she scared of the running water? Like, or do you fill the tub first and then and then put her in, or is it? The... Yeah, fill fill the tub, drop her in. Huh? And she's such not a water dog, huh? No, not not in the slightest. Hmm. Well, sorry, she's not a water dog when it comes time to taking a bath. Right. If it's wandering into a creek or particularly wandering into mud, <laughs> totally a water dog. <laughs> See, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Maybe you just need a stick to throw into the tub that you can fool her. I don't know. Um, well, hey, so today we have something pretty special lined up. We, we do. We do. We are talking to Christine Ha. Uh, and uh, you guys, I'll let you guys tell people who Christine Ha is because... You know me in cooking. So, go. So, Christine Ha is a uh, chef, a writer, and a TV host. She uh, sprang to fame as the uh, winner of the third season of MasterChef. Now, is MasterChef, is that different than Hell's Kitchen? Yes. Is it a different show? Yeah. Because I get these. The only the only actual one of those shows that I, that I actually have to admit that I loved watching was Kitchen Nightmares. Cause, but and that's just mainly because I just love watching Gordon Ramsay just lose it on people. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so entertaining. Um, have you ever watched that show? 
I, I've probably seen every cooking show <laughs> on the planet because my wife is addicted to cooking shows. Oh, is that like? Not, not that she cooks. <laughs> well, you know, she just she just likes the shows. They I think are she, entertaining. Yeah, I think I think she just likes the drama. Yeah, no the the drama the drama totally makes it for me too. I'll have to I'll have to actually go back and see if I can watch some some Master Chef. Now Gordon Ramsay's on Master Chef, right? The U.S. version, yeah. The not, U.S. version, not the Canada one. Okay. Okay, and, and he does Hell's Kitchen. What's the difference between the two? Do you know? Uh, Hell's Kitchen is a, a team uh, challenge where you're, you've got a red team and a blue team, and they're both um, trying to put out you know appetizers, main meals, and desserts. Right. Um, whereas MasterChef is an individual cooking competition. Okay, I see. Okay, gotcha. So each each week they eliminate somebody and until they boil it down to the finalists and then the finalists go head to head and the winner is the winner. Gotcha. So it's, it's like survivor with chicken. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. The, the chicken never survives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we are really excited to, to uh, be talking to her. She's was kind enough to take some time out of her busy schedule. Cause she is a busy lady. Um, so we should, without further ado, let's let's just uh, go ahead and bring her on. Alrighty. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. This is Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, You've Christine. got three of us with you. This is Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hi. And I'm Rob. Hi, Rob. And I'm Steve. Hi, Steve. <laughs> yeah, we're ganging up on you. Um, well, okay. Well, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell us where you developed. You first developed your your passion for cooking. Uh, I actually started cooking when I was in college, out of necessity. Actually, I grew up uh, not really being in the kitchen. My mom was a very good cook, but I wasn't really interested in that growing up. And when I went to college and I moved out of the dorms during my second year in college, I had to learn how to cook to sort of survive because I no longer could depend on dorm food. So I bought a used cookbook and some cheap knives and pots and pans and just read recipes and started cooking. And I think that my passion for cooking grew when I started uh, cooking for my roommates and my friends. And they once in a while, very rarely at the time since I had just started, would enjoy my cooking. And there was something <laughs> satisfying about being able to create something and having others enjoy my creations that um, made me really begin to love the uh, the hobby is what it was at the time. So that's kind of how I got involved in cooking and how I got started. So what what were you in school for at the time? I went to uh, get my undergraduate degree in business at the University of Texas in Austin. Nice. That's probably served you well. <laughs> I guess it's given me sort of a business background and how to um, deal with, I think, people on a business level. So, yeah, that's been helpful. I think it's a good general um, educational background to have no matter what you end up doing, what industry you end up in, because Later, I actually got my master's in creative writing, which is something very different from business. But I think both types of educations have served me quite well. And you were much more gracious with your food to your roommates than I was in college. I, that used to drive me crazy. They used to eat my food and I had the opposite reaction. Of course, I didn't cook the well, food. 
Yeah, well, I think it's it's hard to cook for just one person. Uh, usually, you cook in you know you have either lots of leftovers or or just a large meal, so it was just easier to feed other people than to let it sit in the fridge or go to waste. So I was happy to uh, kind of test my on my friends and stuff and experiment with them and see their reaction. So uh, it was actually helpful that they were willing to eat my food at the beginning. <laughs> well, Rob actually does have a personal chef, unfortunately, Chef Boyardee. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's good to me. Um, okay, well, and, and, you know, so obviously being the blind chef, you're, you're visually impaired. Can you, can you sort of give us a, a bit of a timeline into your, your vision condition and, and how it progressed? Sure. I was born with vision and actually, funnily enough and coincidentally, uh, when I was starting to learn to cook in college was also when I started losing vision in one of my eyes. So it started out as something called optic neuritis or inflammation of the optic nerve. And uh, at the time, the doctors thought I had multiple sclerosis because usually that's the symptom that appears in someone at that age. Um, that tends to lead to that disease. But none of my tests uh, showed that I had MS. So for many years, they couldn't figure out what I had. But it often affected my optic nerves. Um, my vision would worsen, then it would maybe get a little bit better, and then get worse again. So it was, the vision loss was gradual. And uh, I finally got diagnosed with something called neuromyelitis optica or NMO, which is similar to MS, where it's an autoimmune condition. So my immune system attacks my neurological system, and it mostly affects the optic nerves and the spinal cord. And so starting in college was when the vision in one of my eyes started uh, blurring. And then I learned to just depend on my good eye for many years. And then several years later, it would affect my other eye. And then, so the vision loss was gradual. So I went from learning to use one eye and doing living life completely the same, still driving, still able to read the board at school. And then, um, the vision in both of my eyes would decrease a little bit to the point where in 2004, when I was in my mid-20s, I wasn't uh, able to drive anymore, but I could still get around without a cane or without any assistance. Uh, I could still read very large font on my computer, for example, if I enlarged the font to, I believe it was like 35-point font or something at the time. Right. Uh, and then fast forward a few years later to about 2007, I had another bout of optic neuritis that permanently um, damaged my optic nerves further. And then now it's at, it's been at that same level since 2007, which I, uh, the doctors call it counting fingers in both eyes. I usually describe it um, as though I just see a lot of hazy shadows. Um, and now I only use screen readers for my uh, computer and my phone. And I have to either use a sighted guide or a cane to get around for orientation mobility. When when you're in cooking competitions, you you have some of the most marvelous plating um, when you're presenting your dishes. How how do you uh, how do you deal with uh, with plating and presentation now? That's a good question. I find that during the competition on MasterChef, plating was actually the least nerve wracking part of the whole challenge. I think because I know that uh, whatever's done is done, and I'm only minutes or seconds away from the challenge ending. So I feel like I kind of get into this zone 
where for me, because I was born with vision, I have memories of um, what colors look like contrasting against each other um, and those sorts of traits of, of how things visually appear. It helped me visualize in my head exactly how I want the plate to look. So I would picture it in my head and then I would recreate it using my hands and just my sense of touch. And, you know, I tend to like to plate on white, um, especially if my food is, um, has vivid colors. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I just think about like the colors and how they contrast and then the architecture of the plate. And then that's how I build it. And I, I use the concept quite a bit of negative space, uh, where you don't want to overcrowd a plate. And sometimes the beauty is, um, and like with all art, it's oftentimes, uh, harder to, uh, take things away, but that's what makes, I think things stand out more. So that's kind of the concept I use when I plated. Um, give us an idea of of your kitchen, like what in in terms of how is it adapted uh, differently than a regular kitchen? You know, what what little sort of tricks have you sort of built into your kitchen? My home kitchen is actually not that different from a the kitchen of a sighted person's. I would say I have. Uh, if you look closely, you'd be able to find some of the adaptations I've made into my kitchen. For example, I'll use the tactile raised bump stickers quite a bit like they're on my stove knobs they're on my oven and my microwave because those appliances are um the they're either like touch screen or the buttons are very flat and um, not very tactile so i need to know kind of where certain buttons are or where the medium heat level on the stove is so i'll have those stickers kind of discreetly uh, placed upon certain appliances um, I have like silicone putty put on the liquid measuring cup so I can feel the, the different levels of like a half cup versus a full cup. And I use my fingers to measure that way. I'll use, uh, for example, there's, uh, the tool iDevices. They make things like talking thermometers that will hook up to your smartphone or your tablet and using the voiceover, um, you know, for example, I have Apple products and I have voiceover, the screen reader built in, and then it can read me the temperature and it can help me set the time for when, um, how long I need something to cook for. So I find like those tools and a lot of the technology that's uh, happening nowadays, I think for the vision impaired, very helpful. But uh, aside from that, you know, my husband actually, who is sighted, uses those devices because it helps him. Um, set something on the grill, for example, with the thermometer, and he can like walk walk away and not have to man the grill the whole time. So these tools, uh, both I feel like the sighted and the uh, unsighted, find helpful. And coming back to Master Chef for a minute, were there any accommodations or adaptations that were made for you to be able to compete on a level playing field? Yes, they. Uh, so Master Chef, the producers, when they. Uh, accepted me on the show, they knew that it would be very difficult for me uh, if I didn't have an aide or someone to kind of uh, act as my eyes or my legs. So for example, in a challenge, if I if we needed to run to the pantry to grab a stand mixer, it would take me a lot longer than someone who had vision who could see how to get to the pantry where the stand mixer is. So they hired uh, someone who acted as my aide, but they placed very strict rules on us uh, to make sure that the 
it was fair and not that I was getting an advantage. So for example, we had to learn to verbally communicate very well, but there were, you know, only certain questions that I can ask. She was not allowed to taste my food. Um, she wasn't allowed to touch my food and I would have to ask very objective questions. For example, if I had a piece of beef cooking in the pan, I can't ask, is this meat raw or is it burnt? I have to ask very objective questions like, is this steak still red or is it, what color is it? Is it brown? Is it black? And from that, I can deduce whether it's raw or cooked or burnt. And, and for example, if she, if I needed uh, a tool from the pantry, uh, I could say, can you please run and get me um, a stand mixer? And then if she goes to get the stand mixer, she's like an extension of me. So I'm not allowed to touch anything on my station. So if anything catches on fire or anything boils over, I have to step back from my station. I'm not allowed to touch it until she comes back to my station. So uh, she was actually acting as just an extension of um, my eyes and my legs, I guess. But um, other than that, like we had very strict rules placed on us and Every day on set, there were attorneys from Fox listening into our conversation to make sure we followed these rules. And and how did the Master Chef, you know, how did it all come about? Well, my husband is a Gordon Ramsay fan, and <laughs> so he's uh, watched Hell's Kitchen and stuff. And I don't watch much television since it's you know visually it's lost on me, and I, I do much more reading than I do watching television. Uh, so I don't watch that many uh, TV shows, but. Uh, when we found out that MasterChef was coming to a town near us for the first round of auditions, uh, my husband encouraged me to try out. And at the time, I was in school for creative writing. And as a writer, you try to experience a lot of things in life so you can bring that back home with you and come up with story ideas. So I figured, why not? Uh, you know, he knew I liked to cook, my husband, and um, he just said, your story is interesting. Um, why don't you just try out and see where it takes you? So that's kind of how that happened. It's a, it's a long, um, stretch from, um, cooking for college roommates to master chef. Um, and one of the things that really impresses me about those shows is when, when you go on them, they'll, they'll huck a bunch of ingredients at you. <laughs> and oftentimes they're things that, you know, I, I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. Um, where, where did you get all that experience? I think it was just by practice. I mean, there's really no shortcut to it. I think because I started liking to cook more and more, I did it more and more. And uh, I've always been a very curious person, uh, always loved to learn. And so I think that sort of natural curiosity and hunger for um, self-teaching just kind of grew. And uh, there's something about cooking that really fascinated me to be able to take raw ingredients. And it was both a mix of art and science and to apply certain techniques to uh, these ingredients and then to at the end have a result of like a nutritious or delicious meal. And for me, that was that whole process was fascinating. So I think I just kept at it and I was was always trying to learn new things about new foods, new techniques, um, all sorts of different things about uh, cooking. So for me, I just kept at it and it was just something I really love to do. And I think that, you know, um, that passion always needs to be there first. Um, I think in order for anyone to, to, I think, excel at something or to want to excel at something. So you need to have that interest, uh, first before you actually start to pursue and practice and get good at it. Did, did they ever throw an ingredient at you where you just went, 
uh, you are, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I remember that challenge where they gave us all live sea urchins. And, uh, you know, a sea urchin is this sea animal that's a shellfish that's very prickly all over. And it was still alive on our station and we had to cut it open uh. and uh, serve it somehow. So <laughs> that I was not expecting. And it was a little bit scary. But for me, you know, in the moment, I run on adrenaline, and I'm not really one to back down from a challenge. I'm very competitive. So um, I did the best I could with that situation. <laughs> Well, you thought you were scared. Just think of how the sea urchin felt. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so you were a MasterChef winner. You were also a MasterChef judge, weren't you? Uh, I was. Uh, season three of MasterChef Vietnam, which aired uh, two years ago, I believe, in 2015. I was a full-fledged judge on that season of MasterChef Vietnam. And what challenges did you face as a judge? <laughs> I still had to deal with weird ingredients. So there was one <laughs> challenge where the um, all of the contestants in their mystery box, when they opened it, uh, they all received live insects. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had a choice of cooking with ants and ant larvae and scorpion wow. and um, grub and crickets so that day, I knew I would have to eat this stuff. <laughs> and not only just one, but many of their dishes, since there were many contestants. So that was a challenge that I had to face as a judge. Is you're still dealing with weird ingredients. So um, you're still eating weird ingredients and dealing with stuff that you've never had to deal with before. Wow. As a judge, do they tip you off as to what the ingredients are going to be? Or is it is it a surprise to you as well? Uh well, funnily enough, they are supposed to tell us, you would think in production, but I only found out that morning when I walked into oh. hair and makeup that they said that I would be eating bugs that day. Wow. <laughs> nice. Surprise. I'm not going to complain about my Mondays anymore. <laughs> tell us about your worst competition disaster. Hmm. I think the worst one was when we had to do a team challenge where I was partnered with someone and it was a tag team challenge, which is difficult in itself already because you have to think on the same level, but it was hard because I couldn't see. So I couldn't see what my partner was doing when it was her turn cooking. And our challenge was to put together a sushi board. So there was sushi on there. There was a roll on there. I believe there's tempura on there. So, uh, my partner and I had to tag team and put all of these components on the board together. And it's sushi in itself is already not that easy to make, but we had to do all these different types of Japanese dishes. And, and then we had to tag team. And I just remember that, that, that challenge was very much a disaster and we both knew it. And I think all the teams <laughs> felt like it was, uh, it was a disaster, but for, for us, it was especially challenging because, on the sidelines, when I, you know, when someone who can see is standing on the sidelines and their partner's cooking, the person who's standing on the sidelines can see what the other person's doing so they can immediately come in and know where to pick up. But for me, my aide had to stand on the sidelines with me and feed me verbally everything that my partner was doing. And then when I come in, it's already, it's difficult enough, I think, to memorize your own kitchen. 
Uh, but organization is very important for someone who's visually impaired. And so from you can imagine, like every couple of minutes, I'm coming into a kitchen that someone else has moved everything around. So it's about finding the knives, finding out where she's at, what's cooking on which burner, which ingredient is where that took up a lot of time. And so that was definitely by far the most difficult challenge I had on MasterChef. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, we scored on the bottom. So <laughs> yeah, you pulled it out in the end though. What, what, uh, what's your favorite comfort food? Oh, that's a hard question. I think that um, it really just depends on my mood, but I think um, more often than not, I tend to gravitate towards um, either Asian noodle soups, which I grew up eating quite a bit, Vietnamese noodle soups. I love uh, Vietnamese fried spring rolls because those were made for special occasions uh, growing up. Um, I love Southern fried chicken because I'm from Texas. <laughs> and so we gr I grew up eating that a lot. Um, I love New York style cheese pizza, um, fries. Um, I don't know, just all all the stuff that's probably not the healthiest for you. <laughs> but amazing. When are you coming to Canada? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, what? Are, immediately after this, we have to talk about what we're having for lunch, guys. <laughs> I am hungry. Um, what? Okay, well, let, let's sort of a, a follow up question. Um, what's your favorite meal to cook? That's also a really hard question. Actually, I get that question a lot. And, uh, honestly, I find that myself enjoying cooking the most when I'm cooking something I've never made before, because I think it goes back to the fact that I'm a very curious person and I'm always learning in life. And, I find it most invigorating when I'm trying to accomplish something new in the kitchen. So I, I am, you know, I thrive the most and I feel happiest when I'm learning about cooking a new dish, whether it's just using some new ingredient I've never used before or trying a new cuisine um, or using a new piece of equipment. That's really when I enjoy cooking the most. So it's nice to cook things that I know I've mastered, but I, you know, I think that's more for other people to enjoy because I know we all know it'll turn out good, but it's really the process of learning and working with new things that excites me. So what's your latest experiment, Ben? Oh, so it's recently been Lunar New Year and I'm Vietnamese, so we celebrate the Lunar New Year. And traditionally there's uh, this thing called, uh, in Vietnamese is called Bang Chung, and what it is is like a savory Vietnamese New Year cake. Um, and it's made by, in the center there's pork belly that's marinated, and then around that there's mung bean paste, around that there's sticky rice, and then all of this is wrapped in a, like a square, uh, wrapped in banana leaves, and then you cook it for a long time just in some simmering water. And this is a very traditional cake that I grew up eating all the time. My grandmother made it from scratch. Um, and and it's a very popular thing to eat during New Year's or to make and to give away as gifts during uh, Lunar New Year. And I'd never made it before. So this year, uh, just about two weeks ago, I tried making it for the first time. And the wrapping of the cake is extremely difficult, especially when you can't see. And I never learned from grandma. 
So what we did was my husband had to watch videos on YouTube of other <laughs> Vietnamese cooks who were wrapping it. And then he had to try to wrap it himself and then teach me, who's visually impaired, how to wrap it by touch. So that was, it actually turned out a lot better than I thought it would, but it's <laughs> a huge learning curve and I have much more respect for grandma now than <laughs> so that's been my latest uh, experiment in the kitchen is there any food for you that it's just a non-starter something that you just despise hmm I used to be able to answer that question very easily because I I'm not much of a fan of cooked salmon I'm not a huge fan of uh dillweed uh, but I've found that there have been some occasions recently where a chef has prepared those things quite well, and I find them more than just tolerable. I actually kind of like them. So I can't say there's something that I really despise, but those are probably uh, – cooked salmon is probably at the bottom of my list. I love eating salmon raw. I love it smoked. But there's something about it cooked that I just don't really love. Is it a texture thing or? No, I think it's something about the taste. There's just something, um, I think most salmon I've had most of my life when it's cooked, it's been overcooked. So I think there's a very sweet spot to cook fish. And with salmon, when it goes from raw to cooked, it's, it's a very different taste. Um, I mean, some of it is texture, it gets dried out, but then there's something about the taste as well that I just... I don't know. The crazy thing is, like raw salmon is my favorite piece of sushi to eat, but cooked salmon, I just I'm not a fan of. And it didn't help that on MasterChef I was given a salmon to work with, <laughs> and I overcooked it. So I'm sure that 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 has left a permanent scar in my brain with salmon. <laughs> my my neighbor Irene uh, absolutely hates salmon, and uh, she uh, she she tells people now that she's allergic to salmon because she finds that whenever she goes someplace and they're going to have salmon they they try and force it on her and they say oh well you've never had it the way i cook it <laughs> so, so now she just tells everybody she's allergic <laughs> it's a good idea <laughs> okay well so as the podcast bachelor uh, i have to ask i don't know do you ever do you ever come home uh, on a day that's just been a long day and just you know you're just like screw it i'm just gonna throw something in the microwave and i'm just gonna have a pizza pop Oh, of course. I have those days all the time. I'm having one of those days today, actually. Excellent. Yeah, I'm glad to see. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's um, it's funny because we have a lot of expectations of ourselves, especially uh, of chefs, that they don't have weird comfort foods that they like. But a lot of the chefs that I've talked to, at the end of the day, they come home and sometimes they just crave their comfort food. And comfort food is kind of what uh, you grew up eating that gives you certain sentimental, um, memories. And it could be, it could be like a slice of frozen pizza, or it could be like just cold tortillas or, you know, so I think it's, um, these, these things I think happen a lot more often than chefs like to let on, but I'm not going to lie. And <laughs> I, you know, sometimes it's just, you, you don't, if you cook all the time for a living, sometimes the last thing you want to do when you get home is cook. So right. sometimes you want to just have something that reminds you of childhood and you just want to be able to pop it in the microwave. 
But yeah. Rob, Rob's taking encouragement from this, but there's a difference between <laughs> occasionally having comfort food and every day. <laughs> um, do you have a Do you have a favorite kitchen gadget? Something Something piece of equipment that uh, that uh, gets you really excited. So are are you asking for like a gadget that would help the vision impaired? cook or just no, not any necessarily gadget. any any kind of kitchen i'm 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 totally about the kitchen gadgets so mm-hmm. uh well i guess i have two um tools they're not really small gadgets but i you know two that i can think of the top of my head um one is a pressure cooker i think that's been a life changer i think a lot a lot of times people are intimidated by the pressure cooker because they've heard stories about them exploding and getting burnt but once you learn how to use them, and especially nowadays when there are the safer electric pressure cookers, um, to you can make your dinner on get your dinner on the table with a quickness. And I just find that pressure cookers have made life so much easier. You don't really have to plan ahead so much. So if you have a pressure cooker, you can get rid of your slow cooker because it's pretty much doing the same thing, but at in a much shorter amount of time. So for example, if I, you know, the other day I made beans and rice in mine and I didn't have to soak the beans overnight, which is what you usually have to do when you cook beans the traditional way. I didn't soak them overnight. All I did was on the day I threw them in the pressure cooker and then pressure cookers cook things for about a third of the time that it normally takes to cook on the traditional stovetop. So if something normally takes like an hour to cook, uh, you can do it in 20 minutes with a pressure cooker. So that's one of my favorite things in the kitchen. The other, which also can be intimidating, but I promise once you learn how to use it, it's easy, is the sous vide machine or the immersion circulator. Um, I know that that's kind of like been a trending topic among uh, cooks and chefs in recent years. And the idea is it's um, sous vide in French means under vacuum, and it's basically vacuum sealing your food and then cooking it low and slow in a temperature controlled water bath so that, um, it, the food turns out tender and perfect. And, uh, nowadays there are machines called immersion circulators that will regulate the temperature of the water bath and circulate it for you so that all you have to do is kind of set it and go. So I have had, I, this is the only way that I can cook chicken breasts now and eat it because chicken breast tends to turn out really dry. Most ways you cook it. Uh, but with the immersion circulator, that's the only way I'll eat my chicken wow. breast now. So I think that that has been a life changer. It's, it cooks perfect steaks. It cooks perfect vegetables. Um, you just have to look up online. Um, and there are a lot of resources out there, what temperature to cook something at and for how long. And it's very precise. It's precision cooking. So that's been amazing because you can cook a large amount of uh, a batch of like steaks or something for a whole dinner party. And you, you don't really have to lift a finger. You just set that machine and let it go. Um, so that's another thing. And something that's, um, actually like a small, a smaller gadget, um, that I really find invaluable is the bench scraper, which is like this tool. It has, it comes by many names. So there's, it's called a bench scraper. Sometimes it's called a dough cutter. Uh, but it's just like this tool that, um, you can use to, um, a lot of bakers will use it if they're working with dough, they use it to cut up their dough, but they use it to scrape dry dough off the counter. But for me, I find that as a vision impaired uh, cook, it's helpful to scrape everything, to gather everything together because 
when you cut and you can't see, sometimes the stuff you chop flies all over the board or on the counter. And this tool helps you scrape everything together and gather all of your ingredients or in a help afterwards, it helps you, you can use it to clean your counter so you can scrape all of the scraps together and then just dump it into your trash. Uh, so I found that this tool has been invaluable for me in the kitchen as well, uh, especially ever after having lost my vision. Steve's made a list. Now he's going shopping after work. <laughs> he, immersion not, circulator. He's not wrong. <laughs> I've been I've been eyeing those immersion circulators because they keep coming up in the competitions. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. They're getting like less expensive and less intimidating to use. So now, before um, I think when a few years ago when I I first got one, they could cost you several hundred dollars, and then now you can get them for like a hundred bucks. And oh, wow. And yeah, that's not like super cheap, but I, it's one of the best investments that our household's ever made. Nice. We also need to talk about the Four Senses cooking show. Mm-hmm. How did that all start? <laughs> I was contacted after MasterChef by uh, the producer of Four Senses at Varner Productions, and they were putting together a cooking show on AMI, um, uh, or it stands for Accessible Media Incorporated, and they wanted to put together a cooking show for the vision impaired to um, as a way of, I guess, empowering vision impaired people to get back into the kitchen and cook. And I find that not only is it good for vision impaired cooks, but also for novice cooks who are intimidated by the kitchen. And so I was probably the ideal candidate for co-hosting the show since I won a cooking competition and I'm vision impaired. So I co-host the show with Carl Heinrich, who is um, Canada's Top Chef Season 3 winner. And he's fully sighted professional chef, owns a great restaurant in Toronto called Richmond Station. And he and I co-host this show together. So he brings the Canadian slash professional chef side to the table and I bring the vision impaired slash home cook um, side to to the show. And I do a lot of the ethnic foods. He does a lot of the traditional stuff because he's had traditional French training. Uh, so it's good. It's a good match together. And um, we always have guests on the show each episode where we'll cook you know, dishes together and we'll learn from each other. And then we sit down at the table at the end of the episode and then try the foods and see how it goes. And so um, I really like the show because I find that um, it's important to empower people with vision impairment. And I like that the audio description is embedded within the show itself. So there's no post-production audio description. It's not like a strange voiceover that comes in interrupting the show when it airs, but it's actually all of us learning to describe things in such a way where it's like you're listening to radio or a podcast. So uh, the person who is vision impaired at home viewing it can follow along as best as they can. And all the recipes are on um, online in accessible format as well. And you've entered into your fourth season, I think, this year. So that must be exciting as well. Yeah, fourth season is airing right now on AMI. So that is pretty exciting. And is, is it a weekly show or... It is. It comes on uh, every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time on AMI. Fantastic. Um, and oh, or what else are you up to? I mean, I'm, I imagine that keeps you fairly busy, but what else do you have on the go? <laughs> yeah, I uh, love to write, obviously, because I have a master's in fine arts. So I'm working on a second cookbook. 
so that's kind of exciting. It's challenging um, to juggle that with other things, but it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. So I'm working on a second cookbook, and I'm hoping that this cookbook is going to empower blind people again um, and to teach people to cook with intuition. So it will be sort of geared towards the vision impaired, but I think it's um, mostly for um, people who are new to cooking and who tend to follow recipes to a T, which is how I was when I first started learning to cook. I would read a recipe and follow it exactly like if it said put this in the oven for 60 minutes even if my oven's smoking it's only been 45 <laughs> minutes i would still keep it in there for the you know the full 60 minutes so i think it's about i want to be able to teach people to cook intuitively so that's what my next cookbook will be about is to kind of learn to depend on your senses to feel your way through a dish so that's the cookbook that i'm working on next fantastic and any idea how how long it's going to take well, I just started working on it, so usually the the publishing process does take a while. So I would say, you know, probably not till next year or so. But um, working on it now, and I still have my blog on theblindcook.com, and I post recipes there from time to time as well. So uh, okay. that's always a way to just keep up with the recipes and the stuff I'm cooking is is online. And how often do you post to your YouTube channel? Our YouTube channel, I, it's just something I do with my husband who, um, he's been getting into video production just for fun. And last year we were probably publishing an episode a week. Um, this year we're trying to put out a little bit more high quality, uh, videos that are more, um, relevant to what, uh, my audience is looking for. So we're not, um, putting out as many episodes as quickly this year, uh, but we're trying to put out more quality ones. So um, yeah, it's been a fun thing. I think it's, you know, we just started the YouTube channel because a lot of fans are always, they always have questions after watching MasterChef, like, how do I do things? How, how do you do your own makeup? How do you dress yourself? How are you using the computer? So it initially just started out, this channel started out as a way to answer these people's questions. And then it just kind of evolved into other things, just like travel vlogs, since I do a lot of that. And staying in touch with the fans and just, you know, doing different like, um, tasting videos and whatnot. So it's just kind of a fun way to stay in touch with the fans and interact with them. So I am pretty active on, uh, social media and it's just a good way to keep in touch with, uh, what's going on out there and to kind of put a feeler out there to see what the fans want. Is there, um, is there an, an, uh, sort of any sort of ethnic food that's sort of on your bucket list of, of that you want to try out that you haven't yet uh yeah i mean i've had some south african food but i'm dying to go to south africa um that's probably like the main one that i can think of and surprisingly i haven't you know even though i live in north america and south america is just a neighbor down there i haven't been to south america much i've been to like mexico um and stuff but i haven't gone down to like Peru. I really want to go to, I want to go to Brazil, Argentina. Um, so those are other cuisines that I think I eventually want to incorporate more into my cooking. I've had these foods at restaurants, but I haven't been to the countries themselves. Where, where can people find you online on the web on YouTube? Yeah, I'm, uh, I love being online because I find that it's really a good way for me to interact with the fans, um, directly. 
So I'm all over the web and social media. So I have a blog called theblindcook.com, which I post to regularly. I have a YouTube channel, uh, which is youtube.com slash Christine Haw tube. And then I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and all the handles for that are at The Blind Cook. So you can find me online all the time, and that's really me answering all the questions and commenting. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure to link to everything in in our show notes as well. Great. I I think we have to let you go pretty immediately anyways. Sure. Well, Uh, thanks, guys. I had a good time answering. um, It's always neat to hear what questions people have to ask me, and so I'm always (laughs) happy to, to do these interviews. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and join us and, and talk about what it is you're doing. Sure. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, we okay. wish you all the best of success. Thank you. Okay, great. Take care, Christine. Okay, you too. Okay, thanks. thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. So, there you go. Immersion circulator, Steve. Pressure cooker, immersion circulator, bench scraper. Yep. Now officially on I don't your... think I need the bench scraper so much, but... I think I know what you, is that the thing that the, it's like a scraper you want, you see people when they're making hamburgers, scraping the, that's called a spatula. No, not a spatula. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, sure. A spatula is. I'm not sure. I'm going to, I'm going to go Google it immediately following the show, of course, but, uh, uh, I didn't know they had electric pressure cookers. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'd say I, I didn't know they had any other kind of pressure cooker. Yeah. What, what, what kind what of are pressure they, like cooker? a stovetop pressure cooker? Well, I thought there or? was like the old fashioned type pressure cookers, which I don't know if they were on the stove or not, but she made it sound like the electric mm. pressure cookers were something new. I don't know, I, dude. I don't, I don't think they'd be that no. new, but okay. I didn't know there was, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I know I have heard stories about, you know, pressure cookers popping, mm-hmm. blowing oh, stuff I know. all over the place. But, oh, I've uh, seen, I've seen YouTube videos of the, mm-hmm. yeah, like people trying to pressure cook a turkey and then damn thing explodes and sets the house on fire (laughs) yeah no i i uh you know it's funny i have a she she mentioned that you can get rid of your slow cooker i have a slow cooker Mm -hmm. and i use it fairly regularly but um pressure cooker is something that i've sort of tossed around for years about, about buying one and just never have right but uh, but yeah, the immersion circulator as well. That um, that sounds, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, my mouth started watering when she started talking about chicken and steak and that thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to try it. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, have you have you actually watched Four Senses? I think I've seen one or two episodes, but not a dedicated follower. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It sounds perfect for me because I can't cook. Well, even if you follow a recipe step by step, right? You know. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? The recipes they lose me with the terminology sometimes, like mm-hmm. blend, or because I don't know what's blending. What what is that? It's like, it's it's, it's also mixing? referred to as mixing. Yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah, but are, are, I don't know. Are they different? They should just maybe, call them the maybe same the, thing. Maybe the problem is you need a thesaurus in the kitchen. That's right. <laughs> well, well, I mean, <laughs> a cooking look, thesaurus. What does stir mean? <laughs> Besides which, then there's like recipes that is multiple multiple steps and stuff. <laughs> like I, I just like throwing things into a vat and then stirring. I mean, that's my ideal. I can make chili. I make really good chili. There you, go. you, you, you could probably make a hell of a soup. Yep. yep, soup. There you go. I've, I've totally made that in my slow cooker. I have a slow cooker. See, I have tools. Mm-hmm. I got stuff. Excellent. <laughs> Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Well, people can find us at www.atbanter.com. Fantastic. They can also email us at pod... When are you going to get this right? 
Never. It's kind of my, it's kind of my <laughs> shtick, man. Yeah. It's your stick. Listen, like Chaplin <laughs> fell down a lot. You know, Chevy Chase <laughs> fell down a lot. I screw up the email address. That's, that's true. That's my All thing. right, let's go to Steve. Steve, how can people get in touch with us? Well, they could try emailing us at atbanterpodcast.com. No, that's wrong, too. <laughs> 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 all right, I'll try. All right, back I'll, to I'll, Rob. How about atbanterpodcast at gmail.com? That one would work. Okay. <laughs> no bounce backs there. And you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And you can find us on YouTube. YouTube, which I will promise I will update this week, Ryan. Woohoo! And you can find Rob in the grocery aisle near the Chef Boyardee. That's right. Well, or the noodle listen, soup. Or the pizza pops. <laughs> the frozen aisle. I ate a lot of pizza. I bought one of those 12-pack of pizza pops on the weekend and actually ate a lot of those this weekend. <laughs> They're good for lunch. They're just, it's a nice, quick, easy lunch. Yeah. Binge eating and binge watching Netflix. Yep. Yeah, go. I'm watching 24 again. Oh, yeah? Working oh, yeah. my way through that. Oh, such a great show. I haven't, I haven't watched that since uh, that year I was in the hospital and I binged watched that the entire time I was in there. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting on medication. Yeah. The Jack Bauer Power Hour. Yeah. Jack Bauer Power Hour. <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay. Well, then that's going to do it for us. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you all next week. Ta-ta. Music provided by bensound.com.